Empire Lines uncovers the unexpected, often two-way flows of empires through art. Interdisciplinary thinkers use individual artworks as artifacts of imperial exchange, revealing the how and why of the monolith empire. You know, you'll see, okay? The first female. <laughs> In this episode, artist Nil Yalter, a pioneer in 20th century video and multimedia installations, explores the often challenging experience of being an immigrant in a foreign country through her transnational wallpapers, posters and photographs of Turkish workers. In exile is a hard job. My name is Nil Yalter. I'm from Turkish origin and I live in Paris and I'm Turkish and French. I'm 85 years old. <laughs> I'm an artist. Usually I choose the media that the artwork I'm going to do demands. Sometimes I use several medias at the same time, like video, photography, drawing, painting, installations, performance. Well, it depends on the um, issue. And today we're standing in front of Exile is a Hard Job. We're surrounded by black and white photographs, wallpapered in the space. And on top of them, in red paint, the line, Exile is a Hard Job, which is taken from Turkish poetry. You've said that the populations, ethnicities and modes of transport when it comes to migration have changed today, but the problems stay the same. Can you tell me about where this piece started and the people in the photographs? This kind of work I started in 1974-75, uh, but this particular work with this family and the children was done in 1976 for the Biennial of Paris. And uh, these are two families, Turkish immigrant families. They were economic immigrants. They came to do the works in the factories that the French needed to be done, but not by themselves. They asked them to come to the country it's a different kind of immigration. And they lived in the outskirts of Paris. First of all, when I go and ask questions and film families like the ones you see on the walls, the children or the couple with their son, I explain what I'm going to do. I explain where I'm going to show it. They have to agree. And video is a fantastic media because I film I show them what I've filmed. If they agree, I keep. Otherwise, I erase it, I start again. They have a relationship with the work in progress, where I'm doing the work. So you don't go to people's houses saying, I will photograph you, film you. You prepare it, you work with the associations, social workers. That's how I prepare the work. And they chose the families, we discussed, I explained, they accepted. That's how we do this kind of work. Don't steal their images or their, their lives. But the images themselves, you've erased some of the faces, you've drawn on top of them. How do you interact with the photographs? You don't see the faces, because after a week's work, I realized that some of them were completely enclosed in a system, like a prison, and they were losing their identity. Because at that moment, the problems were housing, racism, not to understand the language. Like one of the workers says something very interesting. He works in a factory, car factory. He says, we work eight hours a day, very hard work. 
how can we go and take French lessons after the work hours? The French government at that time, even today, didn't do any efforts like the Germans did that very well because the Germans took from their working hours and taught them German. And the language is a terrible frontier between integration and non-integration, especially women, children. Most of the children didn't even go to school, I think, at that time. Children learn easily the language, and the women were the most uh, touched ones. You talk about women being doubly punished and often being so trapped in the domestic space they start talking to the walls. Is that part of the reason why this manifests as wallpaper? Yes, the wallpaper is very present in this work because the women really live around four walls with wallpapers. And I saw a woman talking to the walls, yes. She was going crazy, as a matter of fact, of loneliness. That's loss of identity, you see. We're here in Ab Anbar Gallery. It's quite a small enclosed space too. But actually this work has been exhibited in public spaces all across the world. And you talk about that as a kind of illegal installation. Tell me about some of the places that this work has been on display. Of course, I did this in 1976. And then for a while I just put it up somewhere because nobody was interested at that time. They looked and they said, ah, who wants to have immigrant workers' faces in one's room? We were a bunch of artists doing contemporary art, video, photography, working photography, so it wasn't really understood. But then, years after, I took these works out and I said, these have to be shown, but in a big scale, outside. It's not street art, it's not activism, It's something like uh, the same image and the same sentence in different languages, in different cities, in different countries, in different continents. It should go viral, I thought. And we did this in Valencia in Spain in 2012. Yes, I say it's illegal because we didn't put these on poster spaces. We put them on any wall we wanted to and wrote the uh, text in Spanish there in that case, the first time. We went off to have some food and we came back. They were torn by the people living in the the district because the space that had been a popular space coming to be a gallery and museum district. We put it up again and then the police came the next day saying you have no right to put this. And we explained that we were doing a gallery show just next door and they said, okay, we'll leave it for 24 hours and we'll take it off. So in every country, in every situation, there's another kind of reaction of the district and of the people living there. Like the next one, the second one was in Mumbai, Bombay. I didn't even go. I've sent the high-definition images. And the Indians love to do this in the streets. For years it stayed. They kept it. They looked after it. It was another reaction because they live in the streets. That's the interesting part of this work. I've done in 13 cities, and when I will arrive to 20 cities, I will make a book, but a book that can be bought very cheaply and maybe distributed to those in those places, in schools, and I'm looking forward to do that, yes. And this installation is a similar work in progress. Today, we see people adding to it with their own red paint in their own languages. Tell me about that process of international installation then. Who makes these works of art happen across the world? I do this with either a museum or an art space or a gallery and uh, with schools 
young people, with their teachers. I mean, they have to want to do it. And it works very well with young people. They do it, they keep it, they try to save it for a while so that people can see. I mean, it's, it's a collective work. And um, that's really reflected here because we can see Exile is a Hard Job written in tens of different languages. I can see Chinese script. I see a Turkish one. Sürgün Zorish, that's Turkish. A young woman wrote that yesterday. yourself are from Istanbul and you've spoken about undertaking a kind of self-exile from Turkey in order to pursue arts education in Paris. Tell me about the state of art and arts institutions in Turkey and what led you to leave. When I came in 1965 to settle down in Paris, I wanted to learn about contemporary art because there was nothing in Turkey, no gallery, no museum, no art world, no, just a few artists getting together artist friends much older than me who had been studying in Paris when one of them opened the doors of this Russian constructivism I found but in books only and I knew there was something going on in the United States or in Europe because at that time Middle East was very poor at that subject also China or Japan nobody talked about those countries it's not like today it's fantastic I mean, the Turkish art scene is much more interesting than the French art scene today, but that has, this is 1965. And always military governments, and it was very hard. I don't consider myself an exiled person or an immigrant, because I'm not, to be indecent to say that. I wasn't running away from something. I came to learn. You also draw a lot on literature in your work, including political literature. Tell me about the installation in a church that drew on the works of the Marquis de Sade. That was, of course, a, a public command for the 200th celebration of the French Revolution in a city, Le Havre. The uh, cultural responsible of the uh, city council did this show with 10 artists on Marquis de Sade. But not the Marquis de Sade we know, it's the Marquis de Sade who was a great revolutionary during the French Revolution. And this exhibition isn't the first time that you've spoken about themes around jobs and work, which here are translated interchangeably, depending on the language. Some of your other installations have also taken place in car factories. How does labour inform your work more widely? This installation, the first time at the Paris Biennial, all of a sudden, some working uh, unions, rich unions, because uh, Renault car factories, working unions, had money, and they were interested in art, so they asked me to do work in the factory. It was very fantastic, because I worked about eight hours every day for ten days to film the factory chain. Can you imagine those guys and those women work for years like that? And it's just exhausting. So I did an installation that was shown. It was the 20th anniversary of the founding of the factory, and we showed the video sculpture in the factory. I wasn't the only artist. There were about 10 artists. And the whole day, the workers and their families visited the factory and saw the uh, installations. I don't even know if there's a Renault factory anymore in France. Everything is done in China or Turkey, in Bulgaria. You know what happened to the industry. 
And your video installations are now shown around the world. In the Take Modern in London, people can go and see Harim, which is a comment, again, on women, but speaks more specifically to the Ottoman Empire. I want to talk about a work from 1992, Manifesto, in which you say, I am a Muslim from Bosnia, I am a Mongol. What does exile, in that sense, mean to you? Are there connections between different kinds of exile? Now, that was for a manifestation that was prepared by Whitney Museum in New York and Centre Pompidou in 92, 1992, which was called Trans Voices. The idea was to have six video artists from the United States and six video artists from France who made one-minute video as a message and send it to the other continent. And those videos, one-minute videos, MTV channel showed it like spots, like publicity spots, but they didn't announce it. It was just a spot from here and there every day for six months. And the same in Canal Plus, another TV program in Paris. And also some artists did some posters that they showed in the metro in New York and in the metro in Paris. And also there were, that would interest you, this, what you're doing was done on the radio. It was an absolutely new and stunning project, but uh, the French public did not, the critics did not understand it. They kept on saying, why don't they put all this together in one museum so that we can see all together this whole thing. The idea was to be on the waves, on the air, on TV, and on the tube. And I thought it, the message would be good to say that I am coming from Turkey. My family comes from all these places, the Armenian way of thinking. I mean, they say coming from Algeria, but... Algerians have been mixed up with other civilizations. I mean, since men, men exist, since Lucy became a human being, she and the others have been traveling from one country to another, from one continent to another. They started to walk like human beings in Africa. They went all over the world. They were the first immigrants, maybe. So Manifesto will be on display both in London and in Pristina later on this year. And coming back to your point about how there was so little interest in Middle Eastern and North African artists in Paris and Europe in the 1970s, how has your work been received now in your home of Turkey? I mean, I have lived in two countries. Now with the earthquake, of course, we're all afraid that there will be a terrible one in Istanbul. Maybe I'll have no home soon in Turkey, but yeah, I have two countries. I belong to two countries. I think I belong more, more than that, but that's why I did I am. Well, I'm supposed to be one of the pioneers of women artists, uh, especially working with the new medias like the video. Surely I'm the first video artist of Turkey. Even in France, I'm one of the first. Many, many artists like Nam June Paik completely fascinated by this media. First of all, that this media was used by the activists and political people and the army, American army, had invented this. Now, I'm supposed to be the grandmother of these young artists now, wonderful young artists. All of Middle East is boiling with fantastic artists. African artists are very well received now. I mean, it has changed completely. I see you more as the sister of Nalini Malani than I do as well as the grandmother of great artists. Uh, seeing my age, I am more of a grandmother than a sister. <laughs> <laughs>
Neil, thank you ever so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. Thank you. Neil Yolta, Exile is a Hard Job, ran at the Anne Ambar Gallery in London throughout June 2023. The artist will return for the gallery's full reopening in the autumn. This episode is part of Empire Line's photography season, exposing different perspectives on the past. Listen to the other episodes on Carrie Mae Weems' Contemporary African Photography at Tate Modern plus Gregor Seiler's series The Polar Silk Road. You'll find all the links in the episode notes. Empire Lines is produced by Jelena Sofronievich. For more episodes, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.